0: Welcome back to Legally Empowered. I'm your host, Sahara Pines, and I'm really excited to bring this podcast to you. As an attorney and former business owner myself, I'm passionate about drawing on my own experience and insight to set my female clients up for success, and I know my guest today feels the same. Today's guest puts her money where her mouth is. Not only does Liz Diggity serve as chair of Fox's National Emerging Companies and Venture Capital Practice Group she is an angel investor in more than 50 early stage companies, many women-led. She has more than 30 years of experience serving as a trusted advisor to emerging companies and entrepreneurs, handling both business and financial transactions, such as financing, mergers and acquisitions, security, private placements, and working with franchise companies. Liz frequently speaks and writes on issues of importance to women in business, and she's an active member of the Alliance of Women Entrepreneurs, which helps female founders who are actively scaling their businesses. She has way too many awards and recognitions to mention here, but her accolades include being named Among Women Leaders in the Law by ALM, being named Among the Most Powerful and Influential Women of Pennsylvania by the National Diversity Council, and she has for many years been recognized by Chambers USA, as a recognized practitioner for startups and emerging companies nationwide. Thanks so much for being here, Liz. I'm super excited to chat about pitches and fundraising with you.
1: it's an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Absolutely, so I'd love to start with the current landscape of what is out there for female founders. So what's happening right now uh, still in COVID times?
1: Well, I'm gonna spew out some facts and figures here. Um, I did take a look around and for high growth ventures and we're talking about, you know, emerging companies, ones that Uh want to go through cycles of financing and perhaps uh, grow quickly and exit some days if if everything goes right. Uh, For these types of companies in 2020, uh, according to the Angel Capital Association HALO report, 15.8% have female CEOs. So that's, you know, a fairly small number and it hasn't really changed much from prior years. Um, From the VC female founders dashboard on PitchBook, uh, for 2020 to date, female founded companies have accounted for about six and a half percent of the number of venture capital deals. Co-founded companies uh, uh, account for around 16.7 percent. And so that would be a team with both male and female. That is down uh, from 17.5% in the prior year. But while numbers have generally increased in the past five years, there's been a bit of a turnaround during COVID. So in 2020, and this is, this is the stat that really, uh, I think is the most important. Female founded companies got 2.2% um, according to PitchBook, or 2.3%, according to Crunchbase, of venture capital funds. Wow. Of all venture capital funds, yes, <laughs> invested. That is down from 2.8% in 2019, which was an all-time high. So it seems like it is dropping lower this year, even with the emphasis on the, you know, supporting diverse teams and female-founded teams. Honestly, now, for co-founded yeah, yeah. I'm,
0: I'm floored with these numbers i mean you, you know you haven't shared these with me before and these are like crazy low uh and a little a little disconcerting i think
1: yeah it is and it gets a little better for uh teams you know that are co-founded between female and male um in 2020 it was 12.6% which was down from 14.6 points 6 that in 2019, one theory is that women have been leaving the workforce during COVID, which is something that has been off-cited and that maybe that is affecting the trends for female-led companies.
0: So- Okay, do you have any data maybe for women of color and how that affects them?
1: Um, yes, I do.
0: Yeah, the uh, numbers are not are not looking or trending very well right now. No. So
1: for, <laughs> for, for black women, the prefe- the percentage so far this year is 0.34% of all dollars raised. Mm. With some good news that the amount raised for black women this year is 494 million, which is already surpassing the total amount raised in 2020. That's great. Around, yeah, so that, that's at least getting better, but it's still really, really small. But one thing that's interesting is around one third of funding for black led startups, male and female, goes to companies led by black women, while overall funding for female founders is Mm. consistently in the single digits. So I thought that was just an interesting uh, statistic. So black women are rocking it within there. I suspect that we'll
0: see maybe an increase coming out of Black Lives Matter and so many new um, initiatives to 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 be aware and to to fund these entities um would that maybe be a fair prediction not that I'm in the business of predicting.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully and I think just people um are getting more used to the, you know, the diverse um founder teams and also so many of the laws now that are coming out um, on all different levels, whether it's uh, state-based laws or uh, recently the NASDAQ came out with some regulations about diverse uh, boards of directors, Mm, that people have to have uh, a woman on their board. Um, I think this is becoming more normal. And in addition, I mean, there's been many studies out there that show that diverse teams and especially uh well not especially but teams that have both men and women on them are better for business okay so what is the evidence of that well it's some groups have done some studies because results defy reality here when you have so few companies that are co-founded but the results uh, according to a few groups are that companies do much better when they have women on their team so it really doesn't make sense a study by boston consulting group evaluated three evaluated 350 companies part of the mass challenge program and revealed that for every dollar of investment raised female-run startups generated 78 cents in revenue whereas male-run startups generated only 31 cents Interesting. And also, yeah according to the venture firm first Round capital which is a very uh, well-known early stage venture capital company its investments in companies with at least one female founder performed 63% better than those with all male founders so there you go awesome
0: <laughs> so keep creating businesses keep keep pitching stuff because we're 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 doing really well once we can get out there and get funded so in terms of the pitch, what are some of the essentials for women founders specifically to include in a great pitch?
1: Well, I, I'm not sure that um, it's that much different for women than men, other than perhaps uh, some of the responses to questions, but every good pitch um, should include a description of the product said in very simple language, not scientific language, Mm-hmm. Um, or tech language, something that everybody can understand. Um, a, a solid knowledge about the market and competition. And for somebody to say that there's no competition because they have a different type of product that's not out there, you, there's always competition. So I guess one of my advices is to say, never say that there is no competition. The management team is of huge importance. Um, And of course, here we are talking about uh, diversity in so many ways is becoming more and more important on the management team. But obviously, experience, Um, having someone who's been in the entrepreneurial side is also very helpful, having somebody who understands finance and business. uh, So that is not all a team of uh, scientists or technologists Uh, talking about traction how you're going to acquire customers, how you're gonna break into an industry with a new model. If you have intellectual property, that's important to talk about. Financials and projections. Now projections, we all understand that at an early stage company, it's hard to do projections, but you need to give it a shot because that shows knowledge of your business. What your exit may be, These companies um, are expected to exit either through going Uh public or through being sold. So what are the other exits out there? Who do you expect will acquire you? Or why do you expect that you'll have a successful public offering? And the terms of the financing. And for the founders uh, or somebody on the team to be able to understand the terms of what they're offering, what sort of security or financing they're doing and the terms is important. And it's very surprising to me how often the presenters really have no idea um, what that financial part of their company will look like. Right. So how many people are
0: typically on a pitch since I've actually never seen one?
1: <laughs> well, it depends on how early the company is. Uh, I am chair of an angel group, and so I've seen hundreds of pitch- pitches over my life. And sometimes one person just comes into pitch, but I find that it's often good to have Uh, two people present. One person should be the main person to pitch because you often don't have much time Mm -hmm. Um, and then but bring along somebody who maybe if you're not the scientist, you're the business person pitching, bring the scientist along or if you're a technologist, um, make sure to bring along the business person, financial person so you can really cover all the questions. I'm talking about when you get up in front of a room and you're pitching. Of course, there's yeah. other types of pitches that are more personal, when you're sitting across the table from a venture capitalist, um, and you just have to be very careful to understand the format. So I know you have
0: seen, you just mentioned hundreds of pitches and are an investor in many, many companies. I'm gonna put you on the spot, like what is one of your favorite pitches for you know a company that just stands out in your mind? Um, you don't necessarily need to mention the company, but, um, but why does it stand out for you? I'm just curious.
1: Well, I think, well, one that stands out is probably my most successful investment. (laughs) Well, that makes sense, right? (laughs) um, I'll always remember that pitch because it was my very best investment that, uh, went public and has been doing very, very well. It was a woman, um, and she was a scientist, but she was able to bring a very complicated uh, pharmaceutical uh, product and explain it to people who were not scientists, were not doctors, um, and just bring it down to the business level. So the important thing to remember is you are pitching to people who are making an investment, not people who are going to buy your product.
0: Mm.
1: You have to explain why those people are going to make money. You have to make it understandable So they're not sitting there scratching their heads after listening to five other pitches. And she just did a great job of being very clear about what the investment premise was, why we should invest in it, but also why, if this works, it will do great things for the world. And I don't want people to go too crazy with that, but um, because sometimes people come in and they give a pitch and it's just one long story uh, Mm -hmm. about why they started their company and you don't want to take all your time on that, especially if you only have five or 10 minutes, but she really um, crystallized that. And uh, it was, it was great to hear. Great, great tips.
0: So what about on the opposite end of the spectrum, some of the most common mistakes that you see? Okay, I could go on for half hour about this one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is shocking to me how often people are not prepared to pitch. They have an opportunity to come in and give it anywhere between five and 20 minutes and sit up there in front of a group and pitch their company and they just blow it. Um, It takes a whole lot of time to do a pitch well. It's an art um, and you need to really, really prepare for our startup company program at Fox Rothschild, we provide a pitch consultant for five hours because I've seen so many of my clients not be able to do this. Um, Wait. Big mistakes. Not telling in the very beginning what your product is. How many times have I sat through a pitch and not known until halfway through what the company does? That you will lose the people listening to you immediately if they're still puzzling over what the product is. said in a clear, simple voice. Um, crazy hyperbole, we are going to make a billion dollars in a year, we're going to, you know, just crazy claims. If it, You're usually talking to people who are fairly sophisticated and who've listened to pitches many times, and you're not going to snow them over, I mean, sure. just generally. And, but it's amazing to me how often people think that that's going to work. Um, the scientific speak I've already talked about. Um, And missing the time, if an angel group tells you, or if a VC tells you they're going to give you five minutes or they're going to give you 10 minutes, time your presentation for that. Or it's a pitch competition. How many times have I I judged pitch competitions all the time and somebody hasn't even gotten to who the management team is by the time their five minutes are up. You need Uh, to be very careful about your time. Makes sense.
0: So are there differences in what a female versus male founder is going to encounter when they're pitching?
1: There can be, um, especially depending upon what their company is. So sometimes women, some companies are focused on female-focused products. And if you're pitching to a room of men who doesn't understand why their company, their this actually happened to me, why their wife <laughs> should have more than one lipstick, um, then, you know, uh, there may be a little extra explaining to do and you have to be very focused on why this is going to make people money. But um, there have... Also... Because I people like
0: me buy lipsticks like once a week. That's why. Exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. So I mean, this was one of those, you know, cosmetic box companies where they send you a new box every every month, and you know, why would that work type of thing. But uh-huh. um, th- there were a few studies that went that uh, I'll cite, which I thought were incredibly interested interesting about how people react to women pitching versus men pitching. Uh-huh. Um, one, st- one did a study, control for industry type, so it had, did not have female focused product, and they presented the same pitch. So, you know, somebody read the same pitch with a male and female voice to a panel of investors. Now, this was a few years back, so I would hope this would have improved, but 68% of the funds for the same presentation went to companies with a male voice. Insane. So, insane. Yeah, so women have to be very, very careful about their presentations. A lot of people talk about, you know, women coming off as being too aggressive, whereas men are, you know, people are used to men being aggressive. Um, sometimes people fund uh, things they can relate to. And if there's more VCs out there, and there are way more VCs out there who are male, maybe they will relate better to uh, male presentations or, or male products. and it's, harder for women to uh, break the cycle. Hmm. So one so, other thing that I've done yeah. been speaking on this, and one other thing that, um, a tip, I suppose, uh, should I go on into this or?
0: Yeah, yeah, I was gonna ask about, um, you know, are you answering questions differently or are you receiving different types of questions um, based off of your gender?
1: Um, yes, so Harvard Business, uh, there was a Harvard Business School study about this. So <clears throat> we hear um, repeatedly, at least I do, in the press and studies and informal conversations that women are sometimes less comfortable promoting themselves um, than men. So that a woman who has a large amount of experience in an area may be less willing to promote her skill than a man who has dabbled in that area so with that in mind uh harvard business school did a study and that they they examined 140 prominent venture capitalists 40 percent of them female so they got a lot of female venture capitalists in the room for this and that is something that i found to be very interesting um so they were at an annual startup funding competition and they studied video transcripts of the question and answer sessions and they found that vcs post pose different types of questions to male and female entrepreneurs, tending to ask men about potential for gains and women about potential for losses. So I would classify one as a promotional question, you know, the potential Uh for gain, or a prevention question being potential for losses. So basically...
0: So putting, um, giving men an opportunity to promote themselves and give themselves sort of like a pat on the back, whereas putting females
1: on the defensive, would that be fair? That would be very fair. That's exactly the situation. And 67% of the questions asked of the male entrepreneurs were promotional, while 66% of the questions asked of female entrepreneurs were prevention-oriented. And the big thing here, ladies, is that male and female investors both did this. So women can be just as tough on women as men can sometimes. So we have to be aware of this. Um, So so for both sides, 85% of the entrepreneurs answered in kind. So if it's a prevention question, they answered in a defensive way. If it was a promotional question they answered in a promotional way. So the big tip here is to turn a prevention question into something that is promotion. Okay, can you give us an example? Uh, sure. So uh, one of the questions um, could be a prevention question. Uh, how do you think you will be able to prevent others from taking market share away from you? So one way to answer that, without uh, taking market share away, it would be to say something like, even if market share goes down, we will experience growth. And with our expected patent portfolio and first mover in our industry, we should be able to maintain a competitive advantage. So if you're an investor in the room, you know that's a perfectly good answer. But mm-hmm. do you, it sounded, at least to me, at least I was trying to make it a little bit defensive. So how does that compare to, how do you think you will be able to prevent others from taking market share from you? So instead say, our target market is huge. The market share we showed you on slide three is very conservative and we will be able to meet or exceed our next milestones. Our product Mm -hmm. as we've demonstrated is superior to anything out there right now and with our first mover advantage and the portfolio of intellectual property we are building, others will have a hard time catching up to us. Clearly that very is a helpful. More, a little more promotional.
0: Yeah, so much more positive and and yeah, promotional. That's that's the great term. So what can early stage companies do to prepare themselves for the quote-unquote shark tank and, and, and mm-hmm. the race?
1: Oh, there's a lot to do to prepare. And the first thing I would say is give yourself a lot of time and don't underestimate the effort it will take to get out and raise money. Um, there's different types of preparation. Uh, one is the actual writing and talking. So everybody's heard of the elevator pitch. Uh And you think maybe an elevator pitch is supposed to be two or three sentences. And it's named the elevator pitch because uh, it comes from, if you get on that elevator and that one person you've been trying to meet for so long is on that elevator, you have two or three floors of elevator time to get through to them. (laughs) Right. Well, when I go to conferences, uh, entrepreneurs come up to me all the time. Um, even though my main job is being a lawyer, as an angel investor, they come up and start talking about their company. And, uh, you know, a conference you're trying to talk to a lot of people and they sort of corner me in a corner and it gets very uncomfortable. And a while they go on and on and on, it's much better if you can have your elevator pitch ready, give your card and follow up. So, and this is something you need to rehearse. You can't do this off the top of your head that you can't do it right. The next thing is um, the executive summary so you need to have a one or two pager and this takes a lot of time to prepare just because it's short doesn't mean it takes a small time to prepare Mm -hmm. that um, summarizes your company a VC or an angel does not want to read through your business plan on day one they want a quick summary where they can get a gist of this in a couple minutes Um, and then the last thing that you have to prepare is your powerpoint and your PowerPoint has to be somewhat flexible. So you can do that five minute pitch or that twenty minute pitch. Maybe uh-huh. it has to have an appendix. But this also takes a huge amount of time to do a really snazzy, well thought out PowerPoint that will describe your business. So that's preparing for the pitch. But then you have to prepare for what comes after the pitch. And that is what well, after the pitch. <laughs> yeah. If if you are lucky with your pitch, you still have a ways to go until you actually get the money, and you don't have money until it hits your bank account. So uh, you have to be ready for due diligence. You have to have your company legally set up properly. Um, you have to have your intellectual property, your employment arrangements. Um, you know, if you if you have a a digital due diligence space where you can park all your documents. Um, you have to be ready to respond. So if a venture capitalist comes and says, we're interested, send us your due diligence materials. It doesn't look good if it takes a month for you to put that together. And also there are legal things that if you don't do them on day one, you can't really do them later. So if you mess it up at the beginning, it's very hard to fix later. Also taxes, Um, just because you're a startup, doesn't mean that what you do on day one can't affect your ta- what you may pay in taxes later on. Actually, it will, I guarantee you. We have a FOX Launchpad program that we work with startups for a discounted flat rate to try to prepare them, you know, very well in advance for all of these contingencies. And a lot of the large firms in this space do have different types of programs. So I encourage people to look into that. We have a virtual incubator within our firm that's called the Fox Launchpad. Um, I call it a virtual incubator because it does have discounted flat fee legal services um, that have been very carefully designed to support a startup company and get them started on the right path immediately. So we will put together um, the, you know, we'll form the company. We'll consult with the client about what the right form of the company is. We'll issue shares to the founders. We'll put together an incentive equity program, invention assignment agreements for the founders, um, a whole host of documents. And what we found is we do uh, charge something for that, but it's uh, it's a very low amount of money, but it's predictable. And it includes full access to the lawyers to ask questions, and to get advice, we set up the cap table. And then non-legal, we have uh, some free stuff, five hours of services um, of some consultants to help with a pitch. Uh, The digital data room is free. We do background checks for free. If you have a big investor or founder or somebody you wanna bring on your team and you don't know them, this is actually very important to make sure you check them out. Um, a free uh, subscription to Carta, which is a cap table management and electronic share issuance platform, and some other stuff as well. Uh, you can have meetings in all our offices across the country. Uh, oh yeah. You can have a meeting in LA. <laughs> um, we
0: will That's right, come visit me. <laughs>
1: yeah, once, once, uh, once the offices are open again, um, after the pandemic. So we do what we can to, uh, help out our clients on many levels and to get them to funding as efficiently as possible.
0: Yeah, I've had the pleasure of working with, you know, many members of your team on some of the employment-related issues sometimes, and it's just such a great group of people and attorneys and um, really clients as well. So uh, love working with you guys. Oh, thanks. <laughs> parting advice for our listeners? We've covered so much. And um, what are sort of the big takeaways here?
1: A couple things. First of all, and and maybe this should be the, the last point, but raising money is hard for everybody. Men, women, people from all backgrounds, it's really hard. And it takes time. So listen to the advice you're getting and try not to jump to the immediate conclusion that it's this or the you know because you're a woman or because of whatever reason listen to what people tell you and incorporate it and try to improve every time it's hard and it takes a long time so leave enough time to raise money it is important to have a a great team of of advisors both on your team in-house and outside whether they're accountants or financial advisors or lawyers um it's just Really important to have a great team, and I guess the only other thing I would say is one of my favorite quotes from Michelle Obama a few years ago. Uh, she spoke at the Pennsylvania conference for women, and it said, and she said that women are increasingly asking for a seat at the table, and if you get one, it's your duty to speak up and use that seat. Otherwise, move over, because someone else will. So, use I your love seat that. and. Go out there. Kill them.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here, Liz. I think our listeners gained such a tremendous amount of insight, and I hope it will all be helpful in their
1: next pitch. Me too. Me too. Thank you very much once again for inviting me.